Three weeks ago, when I last preached, I was preaching on passage in Colossians linked to our Ephesians series about let no one condemn you, about the lies that Satan implants in us that condemn us. We carry around this guilt that we need to say it's been nailed to the cross. I don't need to carry this guilt. Jesus has taken it all. I'm free. And that was about this, these voices that we have that are condemning. And what I'd like to do today, rather than continuing our Ephesians series, we're doing something slightly different. I'm riffing off that message I did three weeks ago to look at the positive side of dealing with these voices of condemnation. And I've entitled it, Replacing Your Inner Bully with the Gentle Voice of Jesus. Um, so this is my inner bully image, the part of the, the, the voice that just goes on. You know, when I was um, in, at, at school, the most common thing for teachers to write on my report was, could do better, you know? And that kind of, that's the kind of language the inner voice uses. Most of us have got such a voice. You're not doing as well as you could be. You're a failure. You don't measure up to what you could be doing. You could, you'd, you'd do a lot better if you worked harder. You're a mess. Can you add some for me? You could do better. <laughs> You're not good enough. What were you thinking? It's a great one, yeah. Any others? So, yeah? Hmm? Again, yeah. So, um, where do these come from? Well, often, we, we know, of course, it's the evil one who plants them in us, but often he does it through the voices of authority figures. So, for example, our parents. Um, and we kind of carry this parental voice around in us. And uh, even the best parents are imperfect, but they're probably copying what their own parents did. Maybe our teachers, who are telling us we could do better. And uh, many of us have had experiences with bosses at work who, who really are, haven't got our own best interest in heart. They, uh, they may be unfeeling and harsh, they may be unfair, um, and you know this is an annual review. You know, can you imagine sitting in front of this guy? You know, these are the things that you, you needed to measure up. You need to do this better this year, and that feeling of the the boss who's just telling you you're not good enough. Some of us may have had bad experiences with, with religious figures who've got all kinds of laws they heap on top of us all kinds of extra rules that we have to do. Even in churches, often there's a, like a, a level of, of legalism that's not something that's in the Bible. Um, so uh, how, how do we react to them? How do we, we cope with all of these voices? Well, all of us have got different techniques of, that we've def- used to defend against them. We've got maybe perfectionism. We just try and do so well they can't speak anymore. Or distract ourselves. Oh, I'm going to watch that show. Or, so we, we don't listen to them. Or maybe numb out the voices with, with our, you know, our drug of choice, to, to kind of, whether it's, it's food or alcohol or whatever it is, so that it gets numbed out. Or maybe we just give up. Or maybe we rebel against them, re, against it. Or maybe we blame others and say, you know, I, it's their fault. It's their fault. It's not me. It's them. Um, 
Another voice of the, uh, is the voice of the law. And the voice of the law is the one that says, you know, you didn't do this, you didn't do this. And I spoke about that last time and how we need to say that was dealt with at the cross. We nail that to the cross. So I'm not going to spend so much time on that this week because I want to talk about the positive. And I want to look at this passage that you have in front of you. And this is some wonderful, wonderful words from Matthew 11, where Jesus, I'm calling him the gentle leader. And this is um, a, a, just a beautiful story. And I'm going to go through these three sections with you and look at how this is put together. So first of all, verses 25 and 26. Now, you'll notice I've got colors on there. And I've got colors to show you the beautiful way that this is written as poetry. And in ancient times... They would often use this kind of structure to give wisdom. And it would be framed in this way because it could help it stick in your mind and because it kind of had a beauty to it. And it's in um, four lines. The first is, we call this A, B, B, A, because the first line is echoed in the last line and the middle two lines are linked together. So in verse 25, it says, at this time, that time answering, Jesus said, and then we have a line about the Father, and then we have a line about being hidden from the wise and learned, then a line about being revealed, so I've underlined that there in in black, revealed to little children, and then back to the Father. So Jesus begins, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned. And then the opposite, flipped around, have revealed them to little children. Do you see how that's beautifully contrasted there? And then he says, the first line was, I praise you, Father. And now he says, yes, Father, for it, it thus it was well-pleasing before you. So Jesus praises the Father and the Father delights in this. So here we have this wisdom revealed to the little children. So the real question is, are you going to be a little child today and listen? Because if you want to listen today, if you want to get it today, you, must, you can't be wise and learned. You have to step down and say, I'm just going to receive what Jesus says today. Do you want to do that? I'm not seeing any nodding heads here. Yes, I am. Okay. All right. We want to do that. So... So uh, what we're seeing then is a contrast between the Lord in heaven and earth and the little children being hidden and being revealed. And uh, now Jesus picks up on these things. Can you see we have in, in the second line, we have these things, and then we have, um, have revealed them, the things, these things, revealed to little children. So he picks up on that in the next one. All things to me have been delivered by my Father. Now, the order of words here, I've, I've, ch- I've matched the original Greek word order. So it doesn't read quite as, as easily in English, but it reflects the kind of poetic ordering in the Greek. And all things to me have been delivered by my Father. And that's echoed in the last line, to whom the Son might choose to reveal. So they've been delivered by the Father 
so the Son can reveal them. And then it says, uh, the second line, no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does the Father anyone know except the Son. Now, that doesn't mean to say we can't know Jesus or know the Father. It's talking about the extent they know each other. Like, they know each other exhaustively. They know each other, everything about them. And so what it's really saying is Jesus is saying, he's saying, I am uniquely equipped to be this revealer. I'm uniquely able to give you this message because I know the Father more than anyone. And he has given me this to deliver to you. So, bit of a build-up here. Um, it's the, it, our, our expectation is rising. What is this, Jesus, that you're going to deliver that is hidden? And now we're going to hear it, that you know that you can deliver from the Father. What is this incredible truth that's going to be delivered? And we may be surprised at what it is when we get it. This is it. Come to me, all who are toiling and overburdened. And I've translated those words, toiling and overburdened, to try and match the feeling of the Greek of an animal that has got so much burden laid on it that it can hardly struggle along. Not just burden, but overburdened, can hardly struggle. Come to me, all you who are toiling and overburdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle, I am, and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, you're probably familiar with these verses, but I wanted to give you the framework in which they're given because Jesus has focused these verses as being so important and powerful. This is the revelation from the Father. This is what you can receive if you come as a child. Once again, you see a beautiful parallel here. We, have, we start off with um, toiling. Um, come to me, you're toiling, you're overburdened. And we end up with the burden being light and the yoke is easy. And then we have, um, in the middle, we have... Um, I gentle I am and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. So this beautiful passage then with the contrasts and the goal. So this is the revelation from the Father. Ah, He is humble and gentle. This is what Jesus is revealing to us about the Father. Whoa, we would never have guessed this if Jesus hadn't come. We look at the stars in the sky. We look at the mountains. We look at God's creation. He's awesome. He's incredible. He's unlimited in his power. But he's humble and he wants to be yoked with us and seizes us in our struggle. That is the revelation that only Jesus brought. Like there were hints of it in the Old Testament, but Jesus brought that revelation in an extraordinary way. This is the Jesus who little children ran up to him. The disciples said, go away. You know, he's too important. And Jesus took them up in his arms, revealing the Father, the one who would take the lowest up in his arms. They, he was traveling along the road and a beggar was crying out and they were trying to shush the beggar up because they wanted to hear this great teacher. And Jesus said, no, went over. It wasn't, a, sorry, it was a, it was a, um, it was a, I think a, 
um, a blind man, that's right, it was a blind man. And uh, so Jesus went over and healed him because Jesus was revealing a God who cares about the small and the weak and the ones who are struggling. Um, Only children get to know this, not the proud. And you'll receive this this morning if you come like a child. Now, one of the most beautiful points in this, we only really get if we understand what yoke means. Can somebody describe what a yoke is to me in ancient times? The oxen, yep, yep, it's to do with oxen. That's right, so they could pull, but the key thing is, it was to, they were yoked together. So two oxen were yoked together, and there's this wooden thing, I don't know if you can see this clearly, across their, uh, their shoulders there, and down in the middle of that, there's a, uh, this, the, the um, plow is attached to. So they're plowing together. So this is such an important idea, because Jesus says, you are not alone in this. I am with you. I'm yoked to you. I'm actually attached to you in the struggles you're going through. Just remember that. You are not alone. And to me, this just touches me so deeply. I'm not alone. Jesus says, not only I'm going to take your burdens away, but I'm actually going to be with you in this. I am with you. So what is it talking about? What are our burdens? Um, so it's not about physical work. We still have to work physically. That's, you know, that's just part of what it means to live um, in this life. Um, Jesus doesn't take that away. Um, but I'm going to argue it's about the inner bully. Because in the context, what does Jesus talk about when he says burdens? Well, when he speaks about, about the Pharisees, Jesus says they tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with one finger. What were they? They were the ultimate bully, the Pharisees were. They were the bullies who told you, you've got to do this, you've got to do this, you don't measure up, you're, you're bad. And these were the bullies. And this is what Jesus means by the burdens. And so I'm going to argue that it's this burdening bully, these these. Uh, Priests that say, no, you've got to do this, that are the ones that are the ones that Jesus is concerned about. Um, and so what we have to do intentionally and regularly, uh, and I have to do it all the time, I've had to do it today several times, is replace the bully with Jesus. I have to consciously do this. And until we do this, we will not have freedom. Uh, in Isaiah 40, 11, He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and shall gently lead those who are with young. Isn't that beautiful? Now, I said that that, uh, it was Jesus. It wasn't until the New Testament this was revealed, but there were hints in the Old Testament of this revelation that was going to come. And this is the Lord who gathers us up and carries us and gently leads us. So um, what about this, this Jesus? What, 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 what was he like as he went about his life revealing the Father? If you look at the words of Jesus, there's not a single occasion when somebody came to Jesus um, needing help that Jesus turned away. Not a single person was turned away. The only ones Jesus spoke 
harshly to were the proud, were the, the, the false leaders, were the abusers. Everybody who came humbly, Jesus received. And he was so gentle. And I'm just going to remind you of a few occasions now because there's nothing like having something concrete to, to write into our hearts as we think about this. So um, Mark 5 Taking her by the hand, he said to her, this is a little girl who, who, who was, was dead, and they called him to raise from the dead. Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. So that little girl, he just gently lifted her up and got her walking. Then there was the occasion of the woman who had had uh, an issue of blood for 12 years and she had um, not um, been, um, had the courage to say anything. She hadn't had the courage to ask for healing. She was so covered in shame and uh, in the end, she had the courage to touch Jesus, and then Jesus said, who touched me? And of course, she was uncovered, and Jesus spoke, spoke so gently to her, he, she said, and when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she'd been immediately healed. And he said to her, daughter, not just woman, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Such gentle words to her. A longer story as a, about a man called Zacchaeus, who his item of shame was he was so small, he couldn't see above the crowds, and he couldn't see Jesus coming, so he thought he'd climb a tree. He thought nobody saw him, but um, we read he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small of stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, you stupid small man, and I know you're a tax collector as well. You should be so full of shame. No, he said, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. Where's the condemnation? Like, this is an evil man. This is a colluder with the Romans. They were bad. This was a bad thing to do. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, these are the, the people with the burdens, carrying the burdens. They saw it. They all grumbled. He's gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. Jesus had no negative words for him. He just received him and showed him love. In fact, there are many times Jesus gets condemned for actually eating in the homes of notorious sinners. And they welcomed him. Friend of sinners, he was called. The ones who, who, who saw that they were sinners. A friend of sinners. He wasn't known for going around condemning these people. And this is the one that you're welcoming into your innermost parts the one who is not going to be condemning you, who's going to be say, saying, I love you, I want, to, I, want to spend, I want to come and dwell here. A famous one is the woman caught in adultery in John 8. Jesus stood up and said to a woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? 
Jesus said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Wow. What words that she must have treasured the rest of her life and carried around with her. And what, I'm going to just give a few more words that Jesus said to people after the resurrection. Remember uh, the, um, the horrific denial of Jesus that Peter did. You know, three times he denied Jesus, at, right at the point where Jesus needed it most. And when Jesus saw him again, they were at the beach fishing. And you remember, he was so covered in shame and he didn't want to speak to Jesus. And what did Jesus say to him? He said to Peter, feed my lambs. He said, I'm going to give you the responsibility of being a leader in my church. And uh, then um, in Acts, um, Stephen uh, was stoned to death. Now, we don't read Jesus saying anything, but we read that that. He had a vision of Jesus, and Jesus was standing to receive him at the Father's right hand. He stood as Stephen was dying. Uh, In Acts chapter 18, uh, we have Jesus speaking to Paul, and he says to Paul, Do not be afraid, for I am with you. It's like I am yoked with you. I'm connected with you. You're going to a stressful time now. Don't worry about the stress. And then later on, Acts 23, he says to Paul, take courage. He says, take courage. This is, he came, appeared in a vision to tell him this. Um, In uh, the words that Jesus, Jesus gave us in the book of Hebrews, it's quite extraordinary because all of these characters from the Old Testament are listed. And these are characters who are some of them very dubious. I mean, people like Abraham, like he had some good side to him, but he did some really bad things. You know, like he lied about his wife. He went to bed with his servant. He, he did all kinds of bad stuff. Um, and uh, Gideon was a pretty bad guy as well, apart from right at the beginning. Yet all of these people, not a single bad thing, just Jesus raised about these in the book of Hebrews. Only the positive things in their lives. Um, there's... Um, uh, the, there's uh, another example. Uh, actually, this is back before the resurrection. The woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well. Um, Jesus um, says, um, just encourages her to, that he would give her life um, and living water. One more thing in the New Testament. The book of Revelation starts with seven letters to seven churches. And each letter is like an evaluation of their church. Now, can you imagine what I would think if I got a letter from Jesus evaluating New Life Church? (laughs) What I'd feel like opening it? Can you imagine what you would think personally if you received a letter from from Jesus saying, this is your self-evaluation? Janine? Here's your evaluation from Jesus. This is what, what would you feel? Well, you know, two of the churches had absolutely nothing wrong with them. Can you imagine that? You open it, but like, there's nothing wrong. Like, there's nothing. Are we not doing anything wrong? Like, absolutely nothing wrong. One of the, a third church, there were some wrong thing, but it wasn't most of them. It was just a little group within the church. The rest of them, he says, I've got no, nothing to say wrong against you. 
And um, there was a, the, the, even the worst church, which is Laodicea, which is the last one, and there's some bad stuff happening there. But Jesus ends it by saying, why not invite me in? I want to have, I want to eat with you. Come and invite me in, and we, will, we, we, can, we can have time together. So Jesus is inviting them into his presence in the most gentle, loving way, even though they're doing a lot of bad stuff. And so I want to say to you that all the examples that we have of Jesus in the New Testament with people are such gentleness. And he is saying, I want you to take this relationship inside you and know that I'm yoked to you. And my voice should replace the voice of the Pharisees. Do you get that? My voice, Jesus is commanding you, my voice must replace the voice of the Pharisees, the the critic that's in there. Um, And uh, if if you're not a follower of Jesus this morning and you you would like to, to hear this Jesus speak to you, then all you have to do is to come to him in that way that you say, Jesus, I've messed up, I've done wrong things, and he will willingly take those things off you and give you his forgiveness and peace. So this needs to be an active replacing that we're doing. Now, I want to add one more thing on, which I think is very important. Um, More and more in medical science today, people are discovering the link between mind and body and how a lot of physical symptoms are connected with levels of stress and levels of thought. And it's quite remarkable that, uh, that this is something that's just... Like probably the last 20 years there's been an explosion in this, but a commentary written 50 years ago um, by a man called William Hendrickson um, is, says some extraordinary things. I'm going to read them to you because they are, they've been substantiated by science now and they are really powerful. In his commentary on these verses, he says, In the study of this marvelous passage, verses 28 to 30, one fact is generally passed by in silence. It is this. The authoritative advice Jesus gives us is not only good for the soul when heeded, it also greatly benefits the body. The rest, peace of heart and mind, which Jesus here provides, is the very opposite of the aggravated mental stress that sends so many people to doctors, hospitals, and death. Absence of peace, whether in the form of anxiety or of rancor and vindictiveness, the lust to get even, may lead to ulcers, colitis, high blood pressure, heart attacks, etc. The teachings of Jesus, if taken to heart, have a curative effect on the entire person, soul and body. He is a complete savior. Amen? So... uh, I'd like to to end by putting up this last slide of the verses and I'd like us just to read them together and try and take them in as we read them. Okay, let's start. Verse 28. Come to me, all who are toiling and overburdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for ungentle I am, And humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. 
for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So understanding Jesus as gentle is what gives us rest. Taking Jesus' yoke is learning from him. Being joined to Jesus, we are never alone. And I've given you this on a print act, so I want you to take this out with you. This isn't just for this, this time now. This is for your life. And I want you to internalize this. And I want you to, to know that he is with you and he is the one who is taking these burdens from you. Let's pray, shall we? Jesus, we are so, so blessed that you reveal the Father to us. We're so blessed by these words. Uh, Father, I confess that I need these as much as anybody here. Lord, we pray that we will hear these words as little children and say, yes, I believe. Lift me up into your arms, Jesus, now. Take me up into your arms and carry me. Be with me and may I know your presence in everything I do. Thank you, Jesus, for being the one who is with me in everything. Amen.